Is everybody in? Is everybody in? The show is about to begin. Hey guys, welcome to a very special episode of Concerts That Made Us. We're doing something a little different this week. As you all know, Meatloaf passed away last week on January 20th. This episode is a tribute to him. I know he was a great actor and starred in many, many films and TV shows throughout his career, but for the purpose of this episode, we'll be focusing primarily on his music. So, without further ado, let's get on with the show. There's been such an outpour of grief from celebrities around the world. Brian May said, remembering great times, completely gutted that Meatloaf has left us, always full of madness, with the innocent sense of naughtiness of a five-year-old. Meat was forever young. I called him Mr. Loaf, and he called me when he wanted some wacky guitar playing. We had so much fun so many times, and just three months younger than me, he felt like a brother. Dear Meat, the world is mourning and will miss your fine and powerful presence for a very long time. I am shocked and saddened by the sudden death of Meatloaf, said Bonnie Tyler, whose total eclipse of the heart was written and produced by the late Jim Steinman. He was, as you might imagine, a larger-than-life character with a voice and stage presence to match, and is one of those rare people who truly was a one-off talent and personality. Alice Cooper said... Meatloaf was one of the greatest voices in rock and roll, and he was certainly one of my closest friends in the business. Working with Meatloaf was one of the main reasons I wanted to do the movie Roadie in the first place. I wanted to watch him show off his acting chops. He plays the ultimate roadie on this quest to be the best in the world, but that's what he did in life too. He always wanted to be the best at what he was doing, and I think he succeeded. There was nobody, I mean nobody, like Meatloaf. His shoes can never be filled. John Parr. I thought I would be able to sit down, open my heart and say farewell to my friend. For once, I am a little lost for words. It hasn't been an hour since I heard of the passing of Meatloaf. Meat to all who knew him, even as kids. I met Meat in the early 80s. We hit it off immediately and within a few weeks I was in Connecticut living with him, his first wife Leslie, and their daughters Pearl and Amanda, who were indeed little girls at the time. I was drafted in to write songs and to help make the new album, which in truth now pale into insignificance to the bond he and I made. Meat was a much misunderstood person. His larger-than-life physical appearance and his overwhelming stage presence cast a legendary shadow. His record sales place him in the high echelon of contemporary music. Yet... It is the person I have known for almost 40 years I will miss. We travelled the world together, and truly, there never was a dull moment. I remember he always used to say this crazy phrase. Vot cos bumpsen mit die Führer. No one ever knew what he was talking about. 
That was until he shouted it to me across the crowded luggage hall in Munich airport. The whole room stopped what they were doing and stared. How much is sex with a bus driver was the German translation. <laughs> that and a hundred more crazy moments fill my memories as I write. Meet love a total one-off as a musical icon and a friend. God bless, John. Star, legend, superstar. These are things that Meatloaf hated to be called. But to many of us, he was more. He was an icon. Now join me as we dive into his life. Born Marvin Lee a day, later legally changed his name to Michael in 1984. He was born on September 27, 1947 in Dallas, Texas to Wilma Arty, a school teacher and gospel singer, and Orvis Wesley Aday, a former police officer who went into business selling a homemade cough remedy with his wife and a friend under the name of the Griffin Grocery Company. He was born bright red and had to stay in the hospital for a bit longer than normal. His father stated that he looked like four and a half pounds of ground chuck. He convinced the nurses to put a card on his crib that said meat and put him in the middle of all the other babies for everyone to see. Meatloaf did not have an easy childhood. Having been injured by fragments of a mortar shell during World War II, his father began drinking heavily when he was medically discharged from the US Army. He would torment Meatloaf, often slapping him around and throwing him through screen doors and worse before disappearing for days. This led to many a night where Meatloaf and his mother would have to go around to all the local bars, trying to get his father home. Targeted by bullies because of his weight, he tipped the scales at 185 by the 5th grade, reaching 140 by the 7th. In the 8th grade, he stepped on a coach's foot, and he screamed, Get off my foot, you hunk of Meatloaf! The next day, Meat went to his locker to find that the other students had written Meatloaf. They had written it as two words instead of one. For the rest of his life, it would drive him insane if anybody spelled his name as one word. On November 22, 1963, Meat met President Kennedy when he arrived at Dallas Love Field. Not long afterwards, while he and a friend were driving on the city streets, he heard about the assassination of John F. Kennedy and drove to Parkland Hospital. A US government official commandeered their car to get to the hospital immediately and Meatloaf was ordered to stay in the parking lot until the official returned. In 1965, Meat graduated from Thomas Jefferson High School, having discovered his love of the performing arts while appearing in school stage productions such as Where's Charlie? and The Music Man. Me played football at the position of defensive tackle as a member of the Rebels and earned a nickname ML, but when his weight increased, this was changed to Meatloaf. After attending college at Lubbock Christian University, he transferred to North Texas State University, which is now the University of North Texas. In 1966, while just 19 years old, his mother Wilma passed away after a 10-year battle with cancer. So gripped by grief that during his mother's funeral, he grabbed at her body and screamed at the undertakers, You can't have her. Following the funeral, Orvis disappeared for four days, as he was prone to do. The day he returned, Meat was sitting in the kitchen with a friend. Upon seeing the look on Orvis's face, the friend immediately left and Meat went to his room. A couple of minutes later, Orvis burst through the door, brandishing a carving knife. Meat quickly rolled off the bed, narrowly missing 
the knife as his father plunged it into the centre of the bed. Overcome by his fight or flight instinct, he fought for his life, breaking his father's nose and four ribs and fled the house. He used the inheritance he received from his mother's death to rent an apartment in Dallas and isolated himself for three and a half months until a friend found him. A short time later, he went to the airport and caught the next flight to Los Angeles. In Los Angeles, he found work as a bouncer and started his first band, Meatloaf Soul. The band received several recording contracts. Meatloaf Soul's first gig was in Huntington Beach, California in 1968 at The Cave, opening for Van Morrison's band Dem and Question Mark and the Mysterians. While performing their cover of the Howlin' Wolf song Smokestack Lightning, the smoke machine they used made too much smoke and the club had to be cleared out. Later, the band was the opening act at California State University in Ordridge for Renaissance, Taj Mahal and Janis Joplin. The band then underwent several changes of lead guitarists, changing the name of the band each time. The new names included Popcorn Blizzard and Floating Circus. As Floating Circus, they opened for The Who, The Fugs, The Stooges, MC5, Grateful Dead and The Grease Band. Their regional success led them to release a single, Once Upon a Time, backed with Hello. Greater success was found in the theatre, where Meatloaf landed a part in a new stage musical called Hair. His run with the production eventually led him to Broadway and earned the young performer some important name recognition. With the publicity generated from Hair, Meatloaf was invited to record with Motown. In 1969, making a gambit for the lucrative rock market, Motown had launched the label Rare Earth Records. Signing a flurry of white acts under the direction of veteran music executive Harry Bock. A year later, Meatloaf, in his early 20s, was performing in the Detroit production of the counterculture musical Hair when he caught the eye of brothers Ralph and Russ Tarana, then working with Bock at Motown. For the Tarana brothers, there was intriguing potential in Meatloaf and fellow cast member Sean Stoney Murphy. Back in Motown in 1970, they whipped up a Stoney and Meatloaf demo for fellow producer Mike Falvano. The record Stoney and Meatloaf, deploying an alternative spelling of the singer's name, was released in October 1971, notching a hopeful debut at number 76 in the Billboard before fizzling out. To support their album, Meatloaf and Stoney toured with Jake Wade and the Soul Searchers, opening for Richie Havens, The Who, The Stooges, Bob Seger, Alice Cooper and Rare Art. Tarana said the project was vexed in part by another Detroit group, the album's most promising track, What You See Is What You Get, was released just before the Dramatics issued a similarly titled R&B single, What You See Is What You Get. That became a top 10 pop hit. Stoney and Meatloaf may have been short-lived, but Murphy remained with Motown as a single act for two years before becoming a fixture with Bob Seger. Working as a backing singer in the studio and on the road up through Seger's latest tour in 2019, now a Nashville resident, she also served a lengthy tenure with the band Little Feet. Meatloaf left soon after Motown replaced his and Stoney's vocals from the one song he liked, Who is the Leader of the People, with new vocals by Edwin Starr. The album was re-released following Meatloaf's later success, with Stoney's vocals removed. Meatloaf's version of Who is the Leader of the People was released. However, the album 
did not sell well. In 1972, Meatloaf was in the original off-Broadway production of Rainbow at the Orpheum Theatre in New York. After the tour, Meatloaf rejoined the cast of Hair, this time on Broadway. After he hired an agent, he auditioned for the public theatre's production of More Than You Deserve. During the audition, Meatloaf met his future collaborator, Jim Steinman. He sang a Stoney and Meatloaf favourite of his, I'd Love to Be As Heavy As Jesus and subsequently got the part of Rabbit, a maniac that blows up his fellow soldiers so they can go home. Ron Silver and Fred Gwynn were also in the show. In the summer between the show's workshop production and full production, he appeared in a Shakespeare and Park production of As You Like It, with Raoul Julia and Mary Beth Hurt. In late 1973, Meatloaf was cast in the original LA Roxy cast of the Rocky Horror Picture Show playing the parts of Eddie and Dr. Everett Scott. Two other cast members from More Than You Deserve were also part of the cast, Graham Jarvis, playing the narrator, and Kim Milford, playing Rocky. The success of the musical led to the filming of the Rocky Horror Picture Show, in which Meatloaf played only Eddie, a decision he said made the movie not as good as the musical. About the same time, Meatloaf and Steinman started work on Bad Out of Hell, Meatloaf convinced Epic Records to shoot videos for four songs, Bad Out of Hell, Paradise by the Dashboard Light, You Took the Words Right Out of My Mouth, and Two Out of Three Ain't Bad, convincing Lou Adler, the producer of Rocky Horror, to run the Paradise video as a trailer for the movie. Meatloaf and Steinman started Bad Out of Hell in 1972, but did not get serious about it until the end of 1974. Meatloaf decided to leave theatre and concentrate exclusively on music. Then, the National Lampoon show Lemmings opened on Broadway and it needed an understudy for John Belushi, a close friend of Meatloaf since 1972. It was at the Lampoon show that Meatloaf met Ellen Foley, the co-star who sang Paradise by the Dashboard Light and Bat Out of Hell with him on the album Bat Out of Hell. After the Lampoon show ended, Meatloaf and Steinman spent time seeking a record deal. Their approaches were rejected by each record company because their songs did not fit any specific recognised music industry style. Finally, they performed the songs for Todd Rundgren, who decided to produce the album as well as play lead guitar on it. Other members of Rundgren's band Utopia also lent their musical talents. They then shopped the record around, but they still had no takers until Cleveland International Records decided to take a chance. In October 1977, Bad Out of Hell was finally released. While in Woodstock, New York, working with Steinman, Meatloaf met his future wife, Leslie G. Edmonds, who was working as a secretary at Bearsville Studios. They were married within a month, and Meatloaf adopted Leslie's daughter, Pearl, who went on to marry Anthrax guitarist Scott Ian. Meatloaf and Steinman formed the band The Neverland Express to tour in support of Bad Out of Hell. Their first gig was opening for Cheap Trick in Chicago. He gained national exposure as the musical guest on Saturday Night Live on March 25th, 1978, after John Belushi had spent almost 10 months pestering Lorne Michaels to get Meatloaf on the show. Christopher Lee was the guest host that night and he did a funny introduction to Meatloaf. Addressing the audience, he turned around and he said, Ladies and gentlemen, meet Loaf. Then, pretending to be talking to someone behind the camera, he said, Oh, oh, sorry, ladies and gentlemen, meatloaf. I guess it's kind of one of them you had to be there things. 
Later in 1978, the singer jumped off a stage in Ottawa, Ontario, breaking his leg. He had to finish the tour performing in a wheelchair. Steinman started to work on Bad for Good, the intended follow-up to 1977's Bad Out of Hell, in 1979. During that time, a combination of touring, drugs and exhaustion had caused Meatloaf to lose his voice. Without a singer, and pressured by the record company, Steinman decided that he should sing on Bad for Good himself, and write a new album for Meatloaf. The result was Dead Ringer, which was released in 1981 after the release of Steinman's Bad for Good. After playing the role of Travis Redfish in the movie Rody, Meatloaf's singing voice returned and he started to work on his new album in 1980. Steinman had written five new songs, which, in addition to the track More Than You Deserve, sung by Meatloaf in the stage musical of the same name and a reworked monologue, formed the album Dead Ringer, which was produced by Meatloaf and Stephen Galfus, with backing tracks produced by Todd Rundgren, Jimmy Levine, and Steinman. In 1976, Meatloaf appeared on the track Keeper, Keep Us from the intergalactic touring band's self-titled album produced by Galfus. The song Dead Ringer for Love was the pinnacle of the album and launched Meatloaf to even greater success after it reached number 5 in the United Kingdom and stayed in the UK singles charts for 19 weeks. Cher provided the female vocals in the song. A comedy documentary movie was filmed to accompany the release of Dead Ringer, written and produced by Meatloaf's managers David Sonnenberg and Al Dallantash. It featured Meatloaf playing two roles, himself and a Meatloaf fan, Marvin. Sonnenberg persuaded CBS to advance the money for the making of the film, which was shown at the Toronto International Film Festival and won some favourable reviews. The album reached number one in the UK album charts and three singles were released from the album. Dead Ringer for Love with Cher, I'm Gonna Love Her for Both of Us and Read Em and Weep. Following a dispute with his former songwriter Jim Steinman, Meatloaf was contractually obliged to release a new album. Struggling for time and wit, it seemed no resolution to arguments with Steinman on the horizon. Eventually they actually sued each other. He was forced to find songwriters wherever he could. The resulting album was Midnight at the Lost and Found. According to Meatloaf, Steinman had given the songs total eclipse of the heart and making love out of nothing at all to Meatloaf for this album. However, Meatloaf's record company refused to pay for Steinman. Bonnie Tyler's version of Eclipse and Air Supply's version of Making Love topped the charts together, holding number one and number two for a period during 1983. During the 1980s, finding his popularity dwindling, he decided to tour exclusively in Europe, where he still had a huge fan base. In 1989, he toured Ireland more than U2, hitting 19 towns along the way. He remembered travelling from town to town in rickety old buses that would often have to stop to allow a flock of sheep to cross the road. While the venues he played at were so small that a local farmer or pub owner often doubled as a concert promoter. At one place it was the parish priest, he said. He recalled one particular concert in a big barn in the middle of a field that had no power. They had put the stage down at one end. I went inside and everybody was just standing around. I said, are we ready for a sound check? They said, not quite. You see, the building has no power. And the thing of it is, nobody thought of the barn having no power. This being the first time we've had a rock band here. Okay, no sound check. The doors open, people start coming in. 
By 7.30 there was easily 3,000 people crammed into this building and we still had no power. Eventually they had just enough power to run about 3 or 4 light bulbs on the ceiling. I know there were a few lights because we could see the people. At 8pm the generator shows up and saves the day. During a performance in County Wexford, it's widely reported by locals that attended that during the concert, a rowdy patron kept trying to interrupt the performance by throwing items on stage and threatening Meatloaf. Meatloaf eventually got sick of this and reportedly decided to jump down from the stage and deal with the man himself. Needless to say, the show continued with no further interruptions and Meat put on one hell of a show. Meatloaf's tour also took him across the border into Northern Ireland where he witnessed the troubles firsthand. He remembered that his wife Leslie got off the tour bus wearing orange clothes in County Antrim, causing their promoter to have a nervous breakdown. Leslie got off the bus to walk around, and when the promoter caught sight of her, he was absolutely mortified. Are you wanting to be shot? He said. Do you not understand what you're doing? You are wearing orange, and it is such and such a day. And this is a county that is completely Catholic and, well, that orange you're wearing is like a red flag to a bull. She had to change her clothes. She was offending the whole town. We had IRA members secretly on the bus with us in plain clothes and we had the British Army and troop transports in front and behind our tour bus. The promoters had somehow worked out an agreement between the IRA and the British Army. They were working together to make sure no harm would come to us. We stayed at this hotel in Belfast called The Forum and the place was completely surrounded by tank barriers and barbed wire. It was like being in Beirut. I remember driving from the radio station to another hotel in County Antrim in the countryside. There were English army troops everywhere in open lap bed trucks with guns at the ready. Leslie thought this would make an interesting photo so she rolled down the window and started taking pictures. Once again we almost caused an international incident. You can't take pictures of the army. In December 1990 he began working with Steinman on the sequel to Bad Out of Hell. After two years Bad Out of Hell 2, Back Into Hell, was finished. The artist's then manager Tommy Manzi later told Hitchecker's that music industry insiders were wholly unenthusiastic about the idea of a comeback and considered the project a joke. The immediate success of Bad Out of Hell 2 saw the album going on to sell over 15 million copies and the single I'd Do Anything For Love But I Won't Do That reaching number one in 28 countries. the end of this episode actually I'll let you in on the secret of what's the one thing Meatloaf won't do for love. Meatloaf won the Grammy Award for Best Rock Vocal Performance Solo in 1994 for I'd Do Anything For Love. This song stayed at number one in the UK chart for seven consecutive weeks. The single featured a female vocalist who was credited only as Mrs. Loud. Mrs. Loud was later identified as Lorraine Crosby, a performer from England. Meatloaf promoted the song with American vocalist Paddy Russo, who performed lead female vocals on tour with him. In Germany, Meatloaf was commercially successful following the release of Bat Out of Hell 2. Also in 1994, he sang the US national anthem The Star-Spangled Banner at the Major League Baseball All-Star Game. He released the single Rock and Roll Dreams Come True, which reached number 13 in the United States. 
1995, Meatloaf released his seventh studio album, Welcome to the Neighbourhood. The album went platinum in the United States and the United Kingdom. It included three singles that hit the top 40, including I'd Lie For You and That's The Truth, which reached number 13 in the United States and number 2 in the UK. And Not A Dry Eye In The House, which reached number 7 in the UK chart. I'd Lie For You and That's The Truth was a duet with Patty Russo, who had been touring with Meatloaf and singing on his album since 1993. Of the 12 songs on the album, two were written by Steinman. Both are cover versions, the original Sin from Pandora's Box original Sin album and Let In The Dark first appeared on Steinman's own Bad For Good, as well as the 1984 album Emotion by Barbara Streisand. His other singles I'd Lie For You and That's The Truth and Not A Dry Eye In The House were written by Diane Warren. In 1998, Meatloaf released The Very Best Of Meatloaf, although not reaching the top 10 in the United Kingdom. It went platinum in December of that year and was also platinum around the rest of the world just after its release. The album featured all of Meatloaf's best-known songs, a few from his less popular albums from the 1980s, and three new songs co-written by Steinman, two with Andrew Lloyd Webber and one with Don Black. Is Nothing Sacred released as a single? The single version of this song is a duet with Patti Russo, whereas the album version is a solo song by Meatloaf. The album did not feature any songs from his 1986 album Blind Before I Stop. Meatloaf and Leslie divorced in 2001. In 2003, Meatloaf released his album Couldn't Have Said It Better. For only the third time in his career, Meatloaf released an album without any songs written by Steinman, not counting live bonus tracks on special edition releases. Although Meatloaf claimed that Couldn't Have Said It Better was the most perfect album since Bad Out of Hell, it was not as commercially successful. The album was a minor commercial success worldwide and reached number four in the UK album charts. Accompanied by a sellout tour to promote the album and some of Meatloaf's best-selling singles. On November 17th, 2003, during a performance at London's Wembley Arena on his Couldn't Have Said It Better tour, he collapsed of what was later diagnosed as Wolf-Parkinson-White Syndrome. The following week, he underwent a surgical procedure intended to correct the problem. As a result, Meatloaf's insurance agency did not allow him to perform for any longer than an hour and 45 minutes. Meatloaf and Steinman had begun to work on the third instalment of Bad Out of Hell when Steinman suffered some health setbacks, including a heart attack. According to Meatloaf, Steinman was too ill to work on such an intense project, while Steinman's manager said, Health was not an issue. Steinman had registered the phrase Bad Out of Hell as a trademark in 1995. In May 2006, Meatloaf sued Steinman and his manager in federal district court in Los Angeles, seeking $50 million and an injunction against Steinman's use of the phrase. Steinman and his representatives attempted to block the album's release. An agreement was reached in July 2006. According to Virgin, the two came to an amicable agreement that ensured that Jim Steinman's music would be a continuing part of the Bat Out of Hell legacy. Denying reports in the press over the years of a rift between Meatloaf and Steinman, Meatloaf told Dan Rather that he and Steinman never stopped talking and that the lawsuits reported in the press were between lawyers and managers and not between Meatloaf and Steinman. 
The album was released on October 31st, 2006 and was produced by Desmond Child. The first single from the album, It's All Coming Back To Me Now, featuring Marion Raven, was released on October 16, 2006. It entered the UK singles charts at number 6, giving Meatloaf his highest UK chart position in nearly 11 years. The album debuted at number 8 on the Billboard 200 and sold 81,000 copies in its opening week. But after that, did not sell as well in the United States and yielded no hit singles, although it was certified gold. During a performance at the Metro Radio Arena in Newcastle-upon-Time, England on October 31st, 2007, at the opening of Paradise by the Dashboard Light, he suggested that the crowd of thousands should enjoy the performance as it was the last of his career. He attempted to sing the first line of the song, but instead said, Ladies and gentlemen, I love you, thank you for coming, but I can no longer continue. Removing the jacket he was wearing, he thanked the audience for 30 years, said goodbye forever and left the stage. His tour promoter Andrew Miller denied that this was the end for Meatloaf and said he would continue touring after suitable rest. The next two gigs on the tour at the NEC and Manchester Evening News Arena were cancelled because of acute laryngitis and were rescheduled for late November. The concert scheduled for November 6, 2007 at London's Wembley Arena was also cancelled. Milov cancelled his entire European tour for 2007 after being diagnosed with a cyst on his vocal cords. After releasing a statement he said it really breaks my heart not to be able to perform these shows, adding I will be back. In 2007 he also married Deborah Gillespie. On June 27, 2008, Meatloaf returned to the stage at Plymouth, England for the first show of the Casa di Carne tour, alongside his longtime duet partner Patty Russo, who debuted one of her own original songs during the show. The tour continued through July and August with 20 dates through England, Ireland, Germany, Portugal, the Netherlands, Norway, Sweden, Finland and Denmark. Six US show dates were also added for October and December 2008. In 2011 he was a contestant in season 11 of Celebrity Apprentice, then hosted by Donald Trump. There was one particular moment when Meatloaf went viral for having an epic meltdown. In the episode, Trump assigned the teams the challenge of selling handmade art and custom designed baseball caps. If you guys haven't seen the clip, you have to look it up. Meatloaf completely lost it when he thought Busey took his supplies. Okay, motherfucker, I bought those motherfucking sponges, Meatloaf screamed at the actor. Part of that paint is mine. I'm sick and tired, you motherfucker. As Busey tried to reason with Meatloaf, he fired back. Bullshit, you motherfucker. You don't want to start with me, motherfucker. You don't want to mess with me. You look in my eyes, he continued. I am the last person in the fucking world you ever want to fuck with. You understand me? You pushed me to the fucking limit. You motherfucker, you will be in hospital in about four minutes. You pushed me too far. As the other castmates looked on in horror, Sugar Ray's Mark McGrath held Meatloaf back from getting physical. John Rich took Busey aside to safety. It turned out the art supplies remained untouched in a corner the entire time. Still, that didn't stop Meatloaf from telling Busey to shut the fuck up. Rich chimed in that the goal of the challenge was to raise money for charity. 
This kind of language and energy, it's embarrassing to me, the country singer stressed. After finally cooling down, Meatloaf gave the actor an emotional apology. I'm so embarrassed by it and I'm so upset by it, he tearfully said. I truly am very sorry. Now, if you guys haven't seen the clip, I highly recommend looking it up. He really does go batshit crazy. In July 2011, Meatloaf fainted on stage while performing in Pittsburgh. He collapsed again while on stage in Edmonton in June 2016 due to severe dehydration after having already cancelled two shows due to illness. The playback containing his pre-recorded voiceover vocal track continued while he lay unconscious on stage, which caused controversy over lip-syncing, a claim that Meatloaf denied, saying his mic was always live. At the 2019 Texas Frightmare Weekend, Meatloaf fell off an interview stage and broke his clavicle. In January 2020, during an interview for The Mirror, Meatloaf announced, I'm not old. I've got songs for another record and I'm reading a script. In a February 2020 Facebook post, Meatloaf announced his intention to record a new album containing four or five new tracks, including Steinman's What Part of My Body Hurts the Most a song long requested by fans but previously under contract restrictions for the Bad Out of Hell musical. Along with the 1975 demo recordings made for the Bad Out of Hell album, Meatloaf's longtime collaborator Jim Steinman died on April 19, 2021 of kidney failure. In a Facebook post in November 2021, he further elaborated that he and his band would be returning to the studio in January 2022 to record seven new songs for a forthcoming album, which would also include live tracks from the 1970s, 80s, 90s and 2000s. However, at the time of his death, the recording process had not yet begun. So before this episode finishes, I thought I'd leave you with some facts you might not know about Meatloaf. He proposed to his first wife by presenting her with a salmon. Reflecting on the event, music producer Todd Rundgren told Billboard in 2017, it was as if a bear had proposed to his mate. Instead of a ring, he used a salmon. Did you know he was almost cast as Quasimoto in Disney's The Hunchback of Notre Dame? He once nearly pushed Prince Andrew into a moat. I don't think anyone would blame him. The singer famously took part in the Shambolic 1987 charity event It's a Royal Knockout, competing as part of the Duchess of York's team. Speaking to The Guardian, Meatloaf suggested that he and Prince Andrew got into a spat over the prince's wife, Sarah Ferguson. Fergie wasn't exactly flirting with me, the singer said, but she was paying attention to me. This reportedly resulted in the Duke of York attempting to push Meatloaf into a moat. When Meatloaf fought back and tried to shove Andrew into the water, the Duke supposedly said, You cannot touch me, I'm royal. To which Meatloaf replied, I don't give a damn who you are. This is actually one that surprised me. He once gave Charles Manson a lift. In his autobiography, To Hell and Back, Meatloaf tells an extraordinary story about one of America's most infamous murderers. Allegedly, the singer unknowingly picked up a hitchhiking Charles Manson after spotting him hovering around Sunset Boulevard. According to the Bat How to Hell singer, Manson instructed him to drive to Dennis Wilson's house, where he insisted Meatloaf could meet a beach boy. There was no beach boy there, although it actually was Dennis Wilson's house. 
Meatloaf writes in his autobiography, recalling what happened when they arrived at Wilson's mansion. Manson then offered to tell young Meatloaf his fortune, although he insisted that none of it really mattered, as the world was going to end. Meatloaf didn't really think much of the incident until later, when the murderous cult leader made headlines for his crimes. His mother saved him from suicide. Something that haunted him after his mother's death was the fact that the last time he spoke to her, they had argued. In 1968, he had tried to kill himself by jumping off a bridge. He climbed up on the ledge and just as he was about to do it, he said his mother appeared to him telling him he had too much to live for and she didn't hold it against him that they had argued. His most treasured possession is his rubber duck collection. Milov was such a zany figure that it almost comes as no surprise to learn he was an avid collector of rubber ducks. Speaking to Mojo magazine, the enigmatic singer revealed that his collection was his most treasured possession. I have around 100 of them. Fans bring them to shows for me, he said. These are no ordinary rubber ducks. Meatloaf claimed he owned ducks modelled after baseball player Derek Jones and Rocky Horror character Frankenfurter. The singer became so attached to his army of ducks that he took them with him on tour. They sit on top of my road case in the dressing room. Every show, he said. Now, the final one I'll leave you with. What's the one thing that Meatloaf won't do for love. Jim Steinman, who wrote the song, thought fans might be stumped by the refrain, which he had actually recycled from the Bonnie Tyler song, Getting So Excited. When we were recording it, Jim brings up the thing. He says, people aren't going to know what it is, Meatloaf recalled in 2014. I said, of course they are. How can they not know? He goes, they're not going to. They put a $100 bet on it, and Steinman was proved right. Meatloaf actually reckoned that he'd been asked this question over a hundred times. What happens is, I get this question all the time, Meatloaf told VH1 Storytellers in 1998. I bet if I said, do you have a question, people would raise their hand and they will ask me, what is that? Well, I'm here tonight to help you out, he continued, wheeling out a giant blackboard of the lyrics and illustrating the syntax with a pointy stick. There are different lines every time before the chorus, he explained. I'll never forgive myself if we don't go all the way tonight. I would do anything for love, but I won't do that. I'll never stop dreaming of you every night of my life. I'll do anything for love, but I won't do that. I'll never forget the way you feel right now. I will do anything for love, but I won't do... What? The audience replied in unison. That. Do we understand it? Asked Professor Loaf. It's the line before every course. In other words, you can insert your own line. Well guys, I really hope you enjoyed this episode. If you liked it, let me know and maybe I could start doing the odd episode like this now and again. If you did enjoy it, please rate and review us on iTunes. It really helps the show grow. Don't forget you can now rate us on Spotify. You can find us and follow us on social media. Just search for Concerts That Made Us Podcast. Check out our website at www.concertsthatmadeus.com And if you'd like to support the show, you can do so by signing up at patreon.com forward slash concertsthatmadeus. So, until next time, keep rocking. (laughs) 